Aman Mohammed is the chief executive of Islamic Banking, our book, and we've given him the book Heaven's Bankers by a guy called Harris Irfan. Is he Muslim? Harris. Because uh, Harris isn't, as far as I, I know, a traditional Islamic name. Uh, Bruce, the derivative of that name is actually from the Arabic Harith. Harith, okay. It's uh, quite a popular name. Okay. So uh, I suppose it gets a little bit anglicized along the way and became Harris. And you know him, the author? Um, while I was at uh, APSA, Harris was heading up the Barclays Islamic Banking team. So coincidentally, I, I had the opportunity to meet with him a few times on my travels to Dubai. Okay. But, I mean, he's written a book, um, Heaven's Bankers, and it is all about the history and the evolution of Islamic banking. And he goes back to the, I think, 700, doesn't he? Um, the, the introductory chapters do talk about the evolution of Islamic banking from a 7th century Arabia, where Muslim traders who worked on caravans uh, came up with some of the precursors to modern-day finance today, like the check and trust accounts. Um, but then he made his, uh, you know, then he made his way across through the scholarly interpretations of certain rulings and edicts, uh, which then brought us through to the more modern time where the first emergences of modern Islamic finance were in Egypt, and then traces the roots of the famous Dubai Islamic Bank, and then also interestingly talks about the Islamization of the Islam uh, Pakistan's economy by General Zia ul Haq, which was famous at the time. But it was short-lived because after he died, they reverted to a conventional system. It just give me a, a very broad brush to mm-hmm. differentiate between banking as we know it. If we go into an APSA or an FMB branch, uh, we, we know what banking is. We want to borrow money to buy a car. We get charged interest. What's the fundamental difference between Western banking and Islamic banking? Well, one of the core fundamentals that you just touched on now is what everyone often refers to the prohibition of interest. But I suppose one of the key factors that makes Islamic banking different is not just that prohibition on interest. It's all the other key prohibitions. So one of the key things um, that Harris also tries to achieve in his book is the morality and the ethics that are laden in the typical transaction that we get involved in. So uh, right now we're talking at a retail banking level. In, in, In the book, Harris delves a little bit more deeper into the murky side of Islamic capital markets. And then in his book, The Oxymoron, an Islamic financial derivative. Uh, no, but, but these, yeah. these, are, uh, these are New York products. These are products of the... Uh, uh, Deutsche uh, and Barclays uh, Capital. Absolutely. These mm. are the products that get people into trouble all the time because of mm. the way in which they are utilized in a deeply unethical and unsavory fashion. So uh, one of the key factors and, and, and was certainly an eye-opener for me in reading this book was a lot of what transpired and a lot of these, the hidden world, like... He portrays it, you know, where the murky underworld type thing happened, was in that capital market space. And what was shocking also for me is that even though the Islamic banking industry in South Africa is nearly 30 years old, we haven't even got to the level of capital type products Mm. that they describe were put into market and crashed around the 2008 time when the global financial crisis hit. So for us, the book was valuable for me because it's a precursor to something that will be coming our way. And it also is a little bit of a textbook to show us the path in terms of not replicating the mistakes that were made. So one of the famous uh, stories that, that, that Harris was involved in and speaks about was the Goldman Sachs uh, $2 billion sukuk. Yes. And, I mean, that was widely publicized. A sukuk um, is an investment. Uh, it's an Islamic bond in yeah. simple terms. Um, in fact, when we talk about the Islamic bond, just on the 17th of September, South Africa launched its first uh, sovereign sukuk to the tune of 500 million US dollars 
that was sold to international investors. And interesting to note, the book was oversubscribed by four times. Yeah. So it shows that there's interest in these types of products. But <clears throat> coming back to the original question, um, when Goldman got involved in these types of products, and this is what the book really questions, is the intention around the purpose of what you're doing it for. And really when it was exposed, the Goldman Sachs of Cook was really just a liquidity-raising mechanism for the conventional bank at the expense of the Islamic investor. They, they look at it, they call it, they call it Islamic banking light um, or, or no Islamic banking at all. It just gets a, a different label put on it and the bankers just go, just get me the deal, just get me the piece of paper signed, call it whatever you like um, and, and let's get the deal done in, in true um, New York banking fashion. In fact, um, in the book, uh, Harris uh, quotes uh, a very famous uh, New York banker who says, I don't really care about all the Sharia stuff. Just get me the deal. Is Sharia banking in a Western banking context even possible? And I ask this with your mm. FNB Islamic banking hat on, and you were uh, with Absa Islamic banking at, mm. at, at a time as well. I mean, you are, you're working for an interest gathering organisation, mm-hmm. uh, charging fees rather than interest. Um, are you not at risk of being accused of sort of being Goldman Sachs ish in that approach? I think that's a fair question. And one of the key things that we've done in FNB Islamic banking, um, it's been two years since I've been at the helm. And one of the key things that we've done with our product offering is something that the customer will never see but will experience. So I'm talking about getting right down to a first-strand bank level where we actually engaged with the treasury team and we actually ring-fenced our entire Islamic book. So all of the Islamic assets in our book so is nothing, financed by nothing Islamic gen- deposits. Nothing, gets ge- no, nothing generates interest. None of it invests in SAB Miller, um, in Tiger Brands because they own Escort Bacon um, and, and all of that sort of stuff. Correct. So, so all those factors are taken into account, which uh, link up with the normal prohibitions of what an Islamic banker can, or can and can't do. But then more than that, Bruce, is to be able to bring value to your Islamic banking customer. And one of the key things that we strive to do is we try to bring in the element of inclusivity as opposed to exclusivity. Yeah. Because one of the key things we need to do is to sell the attribute of the product, thus making the product more accessible to a wider audience, more than just those that follow the Islamic faith, for example. Um, A simple one would be where uh, certain religious groups were collecting funds and were concerned that they didn't have an appropriate place to bank those funds because of the uh, sin-type industries that their money would possibly be invested in. So while not following the Islamic faith, you do have the comfort that with the certification that accompanies our product, it will not be invested in Mm. sin-type industries. Did you like the book? I thought it was a fantastic book. Uh, for me, it was more like a textbook. So thanks for taking my weekend up on on, <laughs> Anytime. on, on, on next week. I'll tell you what we've got. We've got an encyclopedia. No, but, but, no, but, uh, I, but I enjoyed the book. Bruce. I mean, I, I've, I've skimmed it. I can't read every single book, yes. unfortunately. Mm. But going through it, it seems like a fascinating history of Islamic banking. And mm. we kind of, when we think about banking, we think about um, the Medici's in in Venice, and we think about the 16th century. We don't go back to the 7th century and go. Hold on a second. Mm. A lot of these principles uh, are, are created in the in the the Arab world long before the West world wakes up to, to, to trade finance and to the complexity of modern-day banking. Interesting uh, that you raise that point because uh, the book is steeped in also what the Christian clerics have to say. And often quoted is the action of Jesus upturning the tables of the moneylenders yes. at the temple. And they go into this de- uh, lengthy debate around what the definition of excessive really means. And it happened in uh, the Catholic Church. 
it's happening in the Islamic world right now. So it's quite interesting when the parallels are drawn in because at the bottom of the, uh, at, at the end of the day, we're really talking about morality and ethics in a transaction. Absolutely right. I mean, I just I found it fascinating. You may have seen the story of the cover of Fortune magazine about two or three weeks ago, all about the Pope and what the Pope is doing to the Vatican's finances, which have been deeply corrupted over centuries, uh, and going, hold on a second, you know, mm-hmm. this money could be used better uh, for more good. So you enjoyed the book. Is it just for people who are interested in Islamic finance, or is there is it is it got broader appeal? I think anyone who's involved in the banking sector if you're interested in a little bit about the history of money, because we talk about the concept of fiat money, yep. uh, what money actually means and how does it actually uh, um, impact the economy that we operate in today. And interesting, the whole debate around the gold standard. Yep. Uh, secondly, for the practitioners of Islamic banking, I think they'll get enough to get their teeth into uh, regarding some of the more technical structures, uh, Goldman Sachs, the Nakheel Property Fund in Dubai. If you're ever interested in how flipping works, the book gives you a fantastic overview of how people actually manipulated the property market to the point where it burst yeah. and it, creased, it created a catastrophe where the Dubai government wasn't able to honor their $3.5 billion sukuk, where Big Brother Abu Dhabi had to come in. And then they also talk about the consequent embarrassment that the Dubai government faced where their prized landmark, the tallest building in the world, had to be changed from Burj Dubai to Burj Khalifa in honor of the ruler of Abu Dhabi. So, you know, Harris does a really good job in bringing in a lot of personal uh, experiences in. And also, you know, I just would like to add with all the isms and schisms that you go through in the book, you sometimes confuse whether you're reading about Gordon Gecko or maybe <laughs> or maybe a Middle Eastern version of yeah. The Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> really? It's that good? Yeah. Harris Irfan is the author of Heaven's Bankers, reviewed for us this evening by the chief executive of FNB Islamic Banking, Amman Mohammed. After giving up your weekend to read our book, thank you very much. Please go and spend some time with your family. Thanks.